Hello and a very warm welcome. You're listening to Search for Truth. I'm John Martin and I introduce our Bible teacher Brian Johnston with the third programme in the series which Brian's called Nights of Old. I don't know about you, but I find night time has a special countenance of its own. I suppose it dates back to the beginnings of time when man experienced light and darkness. Night can be a time when our dreams are more vivid, our fears more ominous, and our imagination can be heightened by the darkness to turn the slightest sound into a threat. Night can also be a creative influence, when thoughts and ideas can be more clearly seen without the distractions of daylight. That may be why we close our eyes, in order to aid concentration. And spiritually, we may then hear the still, small voice. As you listen to this programme, try to shut out all distractions and listen to what God is saying to you through the message Brian brings from God's Word, the Bible. So let's go to Brian now. With hindsight, the outcome of any battle is fully known, of course. Hindsight allows us to see what ought to have been obvious before, but wasn't. Hundreds of men from the town of Bolton became casualties of the Second Battle of Passchendaele during the First World War. Very few of them were professional soldiers. Mill workers and shop assistants, clerks and railwaymen, they left Bolton to fight for their country all those years ago. Few of them could have imagined the horrors that awaited them in the blood-soaked morass of the Western Front. Many would never return. By early 1917, the battalions of the Loyal North Lancashire Regiment were ready, and on the morning of October 26, 1917, the two Bolton battalions were occupying front-line trench positions in Belgium, ready to try to capture German positions that had hardly moved for years. Nothing could have prepared them for the next few hours. Tired, wet, hungry and standing in a line of shell craters with mud-like quicksand often up to their waists, they waited. When the whistles blew, they advanced slowly and steadily towards the German lines and the withering gunfire that came from them. As many drowned in the liquid mud as were killed outright by the gunfire. The battle was a complete failure and by evening the remains of the Bolton battalions were withdrawn. Hundreds of Bolton men had trained bravely for three years for that day and saw their lives and hopes shattered in only a few short minutes. Histories of the battle never mention this sacrifice, the blackest day in Bolton's history during the Great War. With hindsight, there could have been only one outcome to that pointless and costly battle. It's the night before another battle that we turn to now, another battle that was also a foregone conclusion, declared to be such before it even began. Not hindsight, but God-given insight declared the result of this battle to be a foregone conclusion. How the verdict came to be communicated was as the result of a man visiting a woman by night. The woman was a witch, and her visitor was none too ordinary a man either, as we'll see. Far off in the distant valley lay the camp of the enemy army of the Philistines. Here on this side of the mountain is a witch, a woman with a familiar spirit who claims to have power over the unseen world. Suddenly, as we've said, there arrives at the entrance of her home, which likely was a cave, a man of great stature accompanied by two other men, all of them in complete disguise. The cautious witch 
reminds her visitors of the royal commandment against the trade of the soothsayer and the death penalty upon those who invoke the dead. But the tall stranger guarantees her protection and safety. Then the woman asks, Whom shall I bring up for you? Her visitor, who is the disguised king of Israel, Saul, answers, Bring up Samuel for me. The witch, we imagine, went through her ritual, and then to her amazement and terror, Samuel really did appear. The woman then knew that her client was none other than King Saul himself. The king, who apparently at first either didn't see Samuel, or at least didn't recognise him, said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. What does he look like? he asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel. The last time Samuel and Saul had met hadn't been a happy occasion. It had been the time when Saul had disobeyed God by not completely destroying the army of the Amalekites. When confronted by Samuel at that time, Saul had replied, I have sinned. So Samuel went back with Saul. Then Samuel left for Ramah. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. Saul had never again had another interview with Samuel while he was alive. Now he was attempting to interview him after his death. Consulting mediums is something God has outlawed in the Bible. God has pronounced himself against it in the strongest possible terms. As a result, Saul himself had banned the practice. But that seems to have driven the witches, quite literally, underground. Saul is now a desperate, doomed man, and deliberately does what he knows to be wrong. He'll stop at nothing. He feels he's nothing to lose since God's abandoned him. To the prostrate king, Samuel said sternly, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me, now that the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord will hand over both Israel and you to the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. In the battle which was fought the next day, on the slopes of Mount Gilboa, Israel really was defeated, as Samuel had said, and Saul's army fled. But Saul fought on with his old-time courage until he was seriously wounded by the Philistine archers. When his three sons had fallen dead at his side, then Saul, seeing that he had lost his kingdom and had lost his sons and had nothing further to live for, took a sword and fell on it. There was never a night in all the Bible that more dramatically testifies to the influence of a good man than the night preceding that battle, the night in which Saul had requested an audience with Samuel. Saul hadn't asked for Moses, the great leader of the people, not for Joshua, the famous captain of the host, not for Gideon, who'd put the Midianites to flight. No, none of those great heroes of the past, but someone Saul had personally known and trusted. Bring up Samuel for me. The same Samuel who'd anointed him as king and wept over his failures. Yes, failures, for Saul's life 
illustrates the fact that great gifts can be wasted. How bright and promising was the morning of Saul's life, the spring of the day, as the chronicler so beautifully puts it. Now he was bowing out in a dirty sunset. When Samuel had departed from Saul all those years previously, the last terrible chapter of Saul's life had begun. There's possibly nothing quite like it, I think, in all human biography. Saul's like a man struggling in a vortex. He's like one of those heroes of Greek tragedy, battling with fate. He burns out like a volcano. What tragedy we find in Saul's jealousy, suspicion, insane anger, cruelty, murder, solitude and remorse. Finally, consulting a witch and through her asking for the presence and counsel and prayers of one of the godliest men of the Bible. Such was the chaos of Saul's final chapter. Time and time again, Saul resisted and rejected not just Samuel, but the Holy Spirit as he spoke to him through Samuel. When Saul called upon God in his distress, God didn't answer him. Can we too get to a place from where God doesn't answer? From more Bible evidence than Saul's life alone, we have to conclude that the answer to that is yes. Saul made the mistake, foolish and pathetic though it was, of thinking that Samuel could help him when God would not help him. But the night the dead preacher spoke again, Saul knew his fate. The Bible speaks of those who, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. God gave them up to vile passions. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. I trust you who are listening are not in that category. And so I appeal to you by God's grace. Earlier, we were thinking about battles that were foregone conclusions. Let me just mention another. The forces of evil on this planet will one day soon be headed up by the Antichrist, who opposes all that God stands for. But when the showdown comes, with Christ's return to this earth, the battle will be over as soon as it's begun. Paul says, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendour of his coming. Do you know whose side you're on? Believers in the Lord Jesus will be removed from the earth before that final battle ever takes place. But may I ask again, are you on the Lord's side through trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal saviour? Remembering again those brave soldiers who trained for years for a battle that was over in minutes, let me say this, all life long we have opportunity to prepare for the moment we meet the Lord, whether as our saviour or judge. We won't be kept in suspense then for the outcome. It won't take long. It too is a foregone conclusion. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Beyond.
Remember the verse Brian quoted at the end of his talk? It's from John chapter 3 and verse 17 to 18. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So, where do you stand? You can't stand on the fence because there isn't one. The word is clear. Whoever believes is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, if you would like to know more about the Christian faith and what it means for you, please get in touch. And if you'd like to study the programmes in this series with the help of a transcript booklet, you can obtain it by requesting the title Knights of Old and you can order by email or by post. So here's our contact details. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. So now, on behalf of Brian Johnston, our sound technician David Shaw, and everyone else at Search for Truth, goodbye and God bless and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.